Life's Third Act is a podcast dedicated to helping you get the most out of your retirement. Sponsored by Tucker Allen, attorney CPA Joe Cordell features guests each week to discuss prominent topics for those over 55. Here's attorney CPA Joe Cordell. Welcome to another episode of Life's Third Act. This week, we want to shift the spotlight from talking about our human loved ones to talking about our canine or other pet loved ones. And this is something that all too often is not thought of until literally the last the last days or weeks of someone's life often. It'll come up, oh, I have, you know, spot and <laughs> and whatever. And 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 would you mind taking care of this? That's a bigger ask than people Right. Realize, I mean, for somebody to take on a pet and do it correctly, meaning, you know, walk and, and give the sort of attention to have a meaningful life to a pet, those of you who are pet owners get this. Those of you who are not pet owners might be a little bored with this conversation, so I apologize. But I still think you'll find it interesting and you'll find things to learn. But the point is, those sort of last-minute deathbed conversations uh, often – place a burden on others to where they feel an obligation and they more often than not do say, of course, yes. But ultimately, I suspect that those animals, many of them don't end up in those households if you check back three or four or five years later. So we think it's important to take a show and to talk about how do you properly assure that this this loved one is going to be properly cared for for what could very well be Jill an additional ten years. I would say so. Fifteen yeah. years. I mean, depending on dog lived if it's 16. a bird, it could be decades. Oh, right, right. Birds or a turtle. I've heard Turtles, hundreds. I, yes. There's a couple that that lived like mm-hmm. literally beyond so the century. You may need a legacy trust. <laughs> a legacy, yes. <laughs> yeah, we might run into the rule against perpetuities. Sorry for that phrase, but. Uh, we will we will keep this as simple as possible, but we think that even if you're not a pet owner, you'll find this interesting. But if you're a pet owner, this is obligatory that somebody have this conversation and that you learn these principles because I'm willing to bet that, that you have not seen on YouTube or anywhere else a serious discussion of how you provide, how you assure that these loved ones, these animal loved ones are properly cared for. Strong roots are essential for a healthy tree, especially your family tree. That's why you work hard to take care of your family every day. At Tucker Allen, we know that taking care of your family means planning for the future. Our team provides personalized estate planning to help you protect your family, your legacy, and your future. From wills and trusts to long-term care and estate planning, count on Tucker Allen. Personalized estate planning made simple. So, Jill, we have with us, of course, Nina, who's already spoken up here. Nina, as you know, is uh, our lead attorney at Tucker Allen. She's uh, a wealth of wisdom and advice. So we ask her regularly to join us to talk about these uh, most most essential, most important issues. And and those mm-hmm. of us who are dog lovers, we say, of course, that's true. I'm a dog lover. Yes. I want to make sure my cuddles is taken care of after I'm gone. Now... You could tell I'm setting this up, but are there any examples where somebody has done this and it's not gone correctly? Could it be that there are examples? <laughs> celebrity cases, of course. We uh, love celebrity cases. We do, we do. Uh, if you remember Leona Helmsley, 
back in the 80s, known as what? The Queen of Mean. She got in all kinds of trouble for tax evasion. But still had some money left over. Oh, a whole lot of money. And she planned for her dog, Trouble. Okay. Naming your dog, Trouble. Wrong on so many levels. But she left Trouble... 12 million, correct? And yes. and left her grandchildren out. Oh yeah. Left her grandchildren out, but a judge after Leona's death, which was in 07, changed that and only left the dog 2 million and left money to the grandchildren. Mm-hmm. But the dog went to stay at one of her hotels in Florida, correct? I think so. To be cared for. And and you know what I found that was so interesting? Um, th- there was a caretaker there, and the caretaker claimed that, um, yeah, his name is Carl Leckie, and he spent $100,000 annually for the dog's care. Okay, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, 100000 what dog cost $100,000 a year? But, but what happened, Trouble had uh, death threats, kidnapping threats, so they had to hire a full-time security guard. So I'm sure that's where the bulk of the money went. Plus, you know, the cost of the room in a five-star luxury well, hotel. Well, yeah, and you know, if the dogs are doing room service, I mean, come on. And did the dog, was it just a one-bedroom? Did the dog have anybody visit? I so guess the caretaker, I don't know. This could add up. These are practical concerns. <laughs> well, the grooming was, what did they say, $8,000? This must be a really, really well-groomed Maltese. Yeah. <laughs> and then she wanted the dog to, when the dog passed away, which happened, I believe, in uh, 2011. Years, 2011. Yeah. She wanted the dog to be laid to rest in the mausoleum um, that she is laid to rest in. And um, since she hated dirt so much, um, she wanted this mausoleum uh, steam cleaned, you know, um, at least once a year. So she left $3 million for that, for that to continue to happen. I mean, hmm. talk about a waste of money. So, I don't know. Well, <laughs> but there is a lesson here, though. Um, there are probably several lessons. Incidentally, was the, was the hotel that she had, was that called the Helmsley Palace? Do you remember? I don't. I originally thought that it was the plaza that they owned, but they didn't own the plaza. Mm-hmm. I think they no, owned. No, it wasn't that. But it was probably expensive. It was a very it was. nice hotel at the time. Right. And those many of you who are watching uh, remember this, reading about the scandal whenever uh, there were the charges of tax fraud, et cetera. But the situation with the dog, while we, granted, this is probably a little beyond what any of us will experience as a problem caring for our dog. The point is, if we look at this from a legal standpoint, let's look at what she did correctly and what she did incorrectly. And that's the opportunity for us to learn something about how to plan correctly for our pets. And Nina, kind of kind of give us a commentary on what was done correctly here and what was done incorrectly. Sure. So everything that we've um, uncovered about the Helmsley case, the, the dog case, not the tax case, yeah. is... Uh, pointing to that there was basically a bequest to the dog and a caretaker. So the structure of this uh, leans more towards something called a pet custodian. This can be particularly if you have very simple wishes and you don't anticipate any type of issues with the person that you have asked to take care of the pet, um, this is an avenue that you can take. It does, however, present issues when it comes to how much money is spent, a kind of a lack of specificity. Uh, And clearly there were very specific wishes or this 
custodian kind of took it overboard as far as what, well, I'm going to take, if there's this much money, I'm going to take care of this pet. Um, and really kind of making an average assumption of if there aren't unforeseen health care expenses for the pet, how are you going to provide for the pet if you do so at all? But you're not really going to try to leave money directly to the pet, even though people do. I just came across a a TOD of a car that was left to a dog. It's not really going to transfer properly. So some of the challenges that can happen are when you've written up a will and said, to my dog, trouble, (laughs) I leave this many millions of dollars. And also, it's not supposed to be something that is a spiteful bequest. Yeah. You know, and this clearly was found to be that. Yes. That the bequest to the dog, rather than maybe a charitable institution that takes care of other dogs or something like that, was to say, I hate my family so much that I'm specifically leaving things to a dog rather than to my family, as opposed to making sure that you are properly providing an avenue for that pet to live in comfort and to to be able to weather any type of health concerns that may come so, forward. So the amount, though, so here's kind of a note. So the amount needs to be reasonable. Yes. The amount you set aside has to correlate with what the dog's reasonable need, dog or other animal. The reasonable needs would be for the dog or animal. Yes. Sorry, I'm going to keep saying dog because I have a dog scout, so I think this way, but what were you going to say, Jill? Well, now, it did say in the article that she did leave money to her brother. It said millions. It didn't. It wasn't specific mm-hmm. on the amount. But I, I think the issue was the two grandchildren mm-hmm. that, that she, she left ignored. Out entirely. Oh, and by the way, it was Helmsley's Sandcastle Hotel Sandcastle. in Sarasota. Yeah, that's the Sarasota Hotel. Mm-hmm. Okay, but the, the Helmsley Palace Hotel. Yeah, and is that still there? New York, um, Justin. Okay. So the dog got to retire in Florida. Not a bad deal. Not no. a bad deal, Sounds Sarasota. Good. Yeah, right. The dog that may have preferred lovely. Naples, but, you know, <laughs> what could There's, the dog do? Yeah, it sounds great. Um, but, so, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, if, we, if we're talking about this, we can look at the taxes involved as well. So, we already see somebody who has had a tax issue. So a little she's bit. So, she's this big tax evasion case. Yeah, we'll, we'll call that tax trouble tax to distinguish trouble. from the dog. Tax yes. challenge. Tax ch- challenges and troubles. And so it is important to note here that there is a possibility that she was trying to avoid estate taxes in the way that she did this bequest to the dog. So it is also important to note that because even if she had left this as a beneficiary trust for the pet, that the trust itself would have its own EIN or tax ID number. But the beneficiary would not. So everything that happened with this money as it grew, the income that sat in mm-hmm. this account, would then be taxed at a trust level, which is much higher. So you really aren't avoiding, it's not a charitable bequest to go to a dog just because it didn't go to a person. There's no avoidance here of estate taxes or income taxes to that trust for the benefit of the pet. Yeah. But even if she had structured it that way. So there's, you know, it, it might have been sort of a thing of thumbing her nose at, at the government. That's but it what really I was thinking. Have, yeah. Wouldn't have worked either for that. Yeah. And and it helps to to have a 
a little bit of background on this, and and that's that um, if this bequest had been made before the what's called the Uniform Trust Code, which is a it's a, a set of laws governing trusts that have all, have all states adopted it? Not pretty every much? single one, but there is something comparable yeah. in all states. So they, in other words, they'd vary it a little bit, but they'd use it as the the framework. Yes. So so this this is what you'll find in most states now in some form with some changes. So uniform trust code. So and that, that's where they get together a bunch of scholars and smart people who sat on on a committees like the they call it the, the restatements like the third restatement of trust. These are experts, professors and and judges and others who've thought a lot about this and they they say what they think could be improvements or the way provisions should read read when you're doing estate planning or in this case trust planning. And, and they propose changes in some cases. In other cases, they endorse what is the majority rule. But in any case, it all makes its way into this proposed legislation that is kind of like pulling off a shelf, and a legislature in any particular state can just say, can vote and pass it, and it becomes their law, and it would overrule what their existing law was. But, but in this case, as Nina said, you find them uh, picking some and leaving others on the shelf, so to speak. But there's a whole lot of adoption of these rules that's pretty much largely across all the, the states now. So it makes it easier if you're talking to an estate planner in one city that, that what they say about another city in another state, there's a reasonable chance that that'll be true. But don't go to the bank on that. But anyway, so here's my point. These scholars recommended that what existed at the time, and it was called honorary trusts, honorary trusts which were not legally enforceable. As the term implies, they were just asking, you know, that that if somebody leaves a bunch of money to, for example, their son, Bill, they leave Bill a million dollars, and and they say in their will or in their trust, we want Bill to use this money to take care of our three cocker spaniels. That's not an enforceable thing, so they call it an honorary trust. And so it was it was this thing that, that there was a need for and people wanted, but there was no legal mechanism really to reliably accomplish it. So there was some honor involved. Then uh, when the UTC, Uniform Trust Code, came along, they, they decided that, you know, a lot of pet owners want to be able to be confident that their animals are taken care of. So they, you now can create a trust. It's still called an honorary trust, but it's a trust. And you make it enforceable by anyone who has an interest. And so there are various people around this person you designate who can go to court and enforce this. And the court could on its own motion. So it becomes a legal obligation for whoever is placed in charge of managing this money. But here's the catch. It can only be for the remaining life of a pet in being at the time. So the, the pet has to have been born. And it, you can't have it apply like a dynasty trust where you have, you know, six generations of your dog. Uh, so if your dog has puppies, yeah, they're it, not included. Unless they were alive at the time, then you can say. So it, it's kind of a built-in control. Now, I don't know what they thought about. Is there an outer limit? Nina? To for pet trust specifically, I haven't found a case on that. So I mean, I'm somebody, about somebody this. needs to try to, you know, 
uh, foot it to to get it up to court to actually see if how they would weigh in on that. But yeah, with a, like know. these turtles we're talking about. I mean, with well, and I mean there have got to be some great bird cases out there oh, somewhere. It's just yeah. a question of whether they got to an appellate level and we can read an opinion mm-hmm. on them. But so so the way the law reads, unless there's contrary rules in certain states, the law probably reads in your state that you can create. In Missouri, certainly, in Illinois, certainly, you can create an enforceable trust now for your animals, but only for the animals that are in existence at the time you die and only for their lifespan. So, you know, that's probably going to be for most of us at most 15 years. And if you want to have, if you're saying, oh, well, what about those pets that are at the place where I got my dog, at this shelter where I got my dog? Um, you don't have to designate anything other than that charitable entity to receive the remainder if your trust, if your your pet passed away. That is great. And that that's a good point. And that's probably what most people want to do. If you want to leave an extra generous amount to be sure that your pet's taken care of, but not a silly amount, because the judge doesn't have to honor that, as we talked about just a moment mm-hmm. ago. But, but what Nina's suggesting makes a lot of sense. If you want to err on the safe side and include a little more than you think will be necessary, then you can have, it would be called a remainder trust, right? Correct. You can set up, or just an outright bequest to the, uh, as a remainder beneficiary of this trust if yeah. the pet is no longer in being. So, so that instead of setting up a charitable remainder trust, it would just be, you know, a check is written for the remaining amount. And that way there also, whatever's distributed clearly isn't going to cause a tax obligation on the part of the other beneficiaries because it's all going to charity. And it, right. But it could also be just to a, a loved one. Absolutely. So somebody less important than the animal, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> Someone more distant than the Yeah, we'll say more distant. Now, we have another famous case, Michael Jackson and Bubbles. Yes, everybody loved Bubbles. Oh, of course they I did. I wonder how many people remember Bubbles. Well, that, I'm showing my age, but yeah, I, yeah. I remember I remember Bubbles, bubbles yeah. yeah. The, the chimpanzee. Remember those pictures of Michael Jackson with his chimpanzee? Do chimpanzees live lives of comparable length? This is this is outside of the, the scope of what I of learned your about estate You didn't study this in law I school. I didn't, but I I remember that it's longer than one might think. You know, it's longer than dealing with a dog, but not as long. Isn't as a it? Bird. I think it's maybe thirty, forty years, something, something like that. Like that. Yeah. So Bubbles is still alive and well. I didn't check before we started. Yes, he is. He is alive and well. And Michael Jackson left $2 million for Bubbles Care, but But, something went wrong. Bubbles didn't get the money. What do you think happened there legally? So knowing that there are some little bit of neuroses going on with some of the things that happened with that estate generally, there is a possibility that Bubbles was left the $2 million outright. Because who really understands the distinction between a pet custodian, a pet trust, and an outright bequest? That's what you pay lawyers for. And, and again, just to make clear, that will not that is not legally valid if you just leave something to an animal. We need to say that, right? Yes. In that form, as opposed to what I we can, were talking about. I can tell you right now, based on within the last year dealing with the St. Louis County Probate Court, that a asset left to a an animal is not transferable to that animal. And it ends it up it ends up in what's called the residuary clause, right? Yes. Meaning uh, at the end of a will or even a trust, the, there'll be some the, some mechanism to where anything that's not given away to someone specifically goes there. It could be usually like the, the next of kin or 
Yeah. But how could something like this slip through the cracks? I mean, Michael Jackson probably had all kinds of lawyers on the payroll. Don't you think they would have advised him to do this differently? I mean, I I don't know. It's possible, but a -hmm. lot of times when a lawyer... Um, I, I'm speaking like it's, you know, this out. The, a lot of times when I am in the room with someone talking about what the ideal scenario is, I play devil's advocate and say, what if this person is not in a position that they are right now when you pass away? What if they have tax debt? What if they have gambling debt? What if they've married somebody that really likes to shop? And so just assume that this is a person in a vacuum as opposed to this person that you you think that you know very, very well. Here are the things that could go wrong with putting this person in an unfettered fiduciary capacity, meaning and, in charge with no restraints. And I think that's what happened, what, what Nina's okay. describing. Okay. In other words, it probably a lawyer probably did not write it up to leave it directly to the animal because no lawyer would do that. I wouldn't think so. I, I think what no you described. No good lawyer. <laughs> I think what you described, Nina, is what happened. Is Michael Jackson assumed that if he left the money to someone and told them, "Be sure and take care," he thought that that's all I need to do. Yeah. And, and maybe they even called it a pet custodian at that point. So yeah, it is that right. type of a of a clause. But one of the reasons I advise people to go more towards a pet trust if they're really serious about this than a pet custodian is, first of all, the way we do things, it doesn't actually cost anything extra to put a subtrust into your document to encounter the possibility that there will need to be a pet trustee. And you have put so much more of a burden to do the right thing, as well as not giving someone a lump sum. Everything happens over time and in a very structured way. You get all kinds of opportunities to say what ifs and specific things that you you do for your pet now that you want that person to do, and also account for inflation and and things of that nature, which might be important with a with a bird. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah oh, exactly. For how long they live? Decades. Um, yeah. So that is a way of avoiding this. Uh, but a pet custodian provision may have all been that was actually presented to Michael Jackson Jackson as an opportunity for caring for Bubbles. And we should mm-hmm. point out, Bubbles also ended up in Florida, but not in. A five-star hotel. Hotel. No. Bubbles is in a shelter, an animal shelter, relying on public donations. So Bubbles went from, you know, being a millionaire, this lavish lifestyle, to welfare. From that Disneyland place. What was it called? That Neverland. 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 Disney, I remembered some things. <laughs> yeah. Some sort of little bit of information Something land. before. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Neverland, that's right. But, you know, if you're thinking about where is the pet going to go? That's a good point to bring up for just a practical. Let's get back to the average person. If you're leaving your pet to someone and you're saying, I want this person to live, or this pet to live in your house, one of the things you're going to have to think of is like, you know, a lot of people have chickens right now. Chickens are big. Uh, they are. You're um, right. Not in my neighborhood, but I'm. I'll well, trust that you. there's a reason for that. There are very specific neighborhoods within St. Louis. Uh, that offer a an, a an ability to have a chicken coop and a certain amount of chickens depending on how big your yard is. You don't necessarily have to have acres. So in uh, Kirkwood, which is neighboring 
this other suburb, which yeah. is De Pere. In Kirkwood, you can have chickens. In De Pere, you cannot. And the municipal ordinance says you have to have four acres to have basically any type of pet other than a dog and a cat. And even with dogs and cats, you can have a maximum of three. So right. if you say, my friend Laura, who is a is a dog lover, I would like her to have my dog. Well, if Laura already has two or three dogs, however many are allowed by her either HOA or municipal ordinance, she maybe can't even take right. your dog. Especially if she lives in a condos, right? Some of the condos, oh I'm goodness. amazed at the rules mm-hmm. they yes. have. Yes. I mean, yes. the weight, uh, this condo that we were looking at in Florida had a maximum weight of 30 pounds. Mm-hmm. That's a smaller dog. That is. Yes. So when you're looking at the practicalities, which is, you know, probably not an estate with unending income and probably not a friend or family member who's willing to relocate just so that they can take care of your pet and sell their home. The very, very practical aspects here, not just the is there enough money to care for the pet in the case of a medical emergency, which is normally where it becomes very burdensome to care for someone else's pet, is that you pass away and the dog needs a hip replacement. Yeah, so. that is. that. I, I've just gone through knee surgery with my dog, and it's a big ask of somebody to take care. Because with Scout, which I was happy to do, but somebody who didn't care for my dog would not be happy to do. And that means carrying the dog out to go outside, mm-hmm. or the rest of carrying the dog back. You know, just it required follow up visits, required attention. You know, yes. off and on all day. So, taking care of the pet is is I think a bigger request than many of us think, and that's the reason I think that it's become an afterthought almost. And it's the estate planning afterthought that that if you had looked this person, perhaps you, in the eye and said, "How important is it to you to have your pet taken care of properly?" And I think many of you, if you're like me, you'd say, oh, well, that's very important. But it doesn't come up. I, I'm willing to bet that this did, if you've done any estate planning, many of you have done some sort of estate planning, I'm willing to bet it didn't come up. And we want you to be aware of this issue. That's the reason we're doing this show today. And the good news is, though, there is, since this this uniform trust code that I described to you a while ago, since most states have adopted some form of it, almost all states some form of it, then almost certainly you're in a state where you can legally and enforceably, it, it was always legal, just wasn't enforceable. Uh, you can enforceably provide for the care of your of your pets, whatever they are, for the balance of their lives. So what, it, let yet another example that we're going to talk about. Oh, yes. Isn't the, it royalty? There's royalty, royal? the royalty. countess. Yes, yes, the German countess. The German countess. I didn't hear about this case. I never heard about this case either. Uh, Carla Leibenstein and her dogs Gunter three and Gunter four. Yes, Gunther the third and Gunther the <laughs> Gunther fourth. Gunther the fourth, yes. Okay. And she left her entire fortune to these German shepherds. Um, what were you talking? $65 million. Mm-hmm. And Gunter the third passed away a week later. Um, but the inheritance was passed on to the dog's son, Gunter Ford. Now, was this in the United States? No, uh, this was in Germany. So they, they're really pet friendly over there, apparently, at least for dogs. Yeah, they must be. They must be. But there are a lot of unknowns possibly there as far as what sort of family members she had or maybe how that was, you know, enforceable. But I think the takeaway for that is just 
can you actually put provisions in your planning? Hopefully, you know, if you're not going to leave it to your pet, because we've already said, don't leave it to your pet. Directly to the pet. But if you are saying that you have either multiple pets or that you have a primary pet for their benefit, but then maybe that pet passes away, that you would want the remainder of this group of pets that you have to continue to be able to use that money or the or the puppies of your pet that you know, are alive when that you are, pass. are alive when you pass. So it's you know there's still a lesson there of saying don't just focus on the fact that you have a pet that maybe nobody wants because it needs to have a, an IV of fluids every day and you know right. that it's going to be a chore. But also focus on your cute, fluffy puppies and kittens because. Hopefully, by the time you pass away, no one's going to really want them either because we don't really want you to put your estate plan in place and walk out the door and pass away within a year. So the cute puppy that is really, really sweet now that everyone fights over watching when you go on vacation may be the puppy with, you know, really stinky breath and and no teeth and hobbling around and needing to be carried out to go to the bathroom, as you as you yeah, said. Yeah, like so. several years later when the pet has exactly. aged. Exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, for a lot of people, there's a thing that is um, now kind of a hospice pet uh, exchange program where people who are more elderly can get pets who are older right. to take uh, to take on and take care of, have something to focus on. It's seen as a really good mental health activity for people who are mm-hmm. more elderly and retired and their home so they can take care of these pets. But you would also want to make sure that the pet would either revert back to that charity as part of the exchange program if, if they outlived you. Sure. Or that you made other provisions for that pet that you had taken on as kind of an elderly pet. So if they do outlive you for any amount of time, that they're not automatically going to be euthanized because you have passed away. And, and and your point about how how some pets, though, may require more attention than others and, and more expensive... You know, a special needs pet, mm-hmm. for lack of another right. phrase. I mean, so it would make sense that you would want to assure that that animal, which is may perhaps, for example, be older too, would have the money necessary for it, uh, maybe as a priority to a younger pet that could be easily would be more attractive to have people take and care for, perhaps than that dog or that cat. Another thing that we've not talked about, but you should discuss, Nina, is what about somebody who is entering a nursing home? They, they're they having to give up their own pet, not always, but usually. So many people think, gee, I've got to find somebody to take it. So you ask a son or daughter who, you know, if they care about you, they're not going to say no if this is the dog you really care about. But there's a maybe a better way to do it where perhaps though they may not admit it i think they would even they would be happier perhaps if you if you had created a trust and in that trust you assign somebody responsibility you don't have to wait till you die in other words to put in place a means to take care of that animal and it may be even through your loved ones but it's a little different it's because they've been given responsibility through a trust there's money in that trust you may even provide for it liberally in a way that they would, you know, consider all their potential costs, direct and indirect, in their so home. So there's and an incentive. There's an incentive. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that would be a much easier way to find someone to care for your 
for your pet if you find that you're having to give it up before you pass. We talk about how to do that or... So we can talk, I mean, if you wanted to do something akin to uh, an honorarium or a... Um, a salary for this person. You can put it as far as uh, providing over a certain amount of time and come up with your lump sum, divide it up and say that this is what I'm thinking about the life expectancy of my pet. And so this is how much money I'm going to give over time. I always recommend that clients do something other than a lump sum outright to a pet custodian. And so if you can put it in more of a terms of a trust than a custodial agreement, you allow for it not to be something where the person gets the money and then after a year this gets old with your pet and they decide to find another home or non-home for the pet because they just can't take it anymore and the bloom is off the off, off of the rose. But if you ha- are anticipating that you may either become incapacitated or reach a point in your life where you are unable to care for their pet, there are provisions that can go into your document to sort of trigger those other provisions that provide the money Provided also, though, that you have money in your trust at that time before you pass away. So if you think that there's something that is going to trigger the funding of your trust, if you don't have assets in the trust at that time, the provisions don't mean anything. So if all of your assets only transfer to your trust upon your death, it's something to think about to put a little side account together. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, we've been talking about this for several minutes already. You can see how in a consultation with somebody... There are a lot of things to choose. Yeah, a lot Uh, of possibilities. And would you recommend that they name more than one person just in case, you know, the first person they named at their death, you know, dies suddenly after them or doesn't want to do it? I mean, how many people would you recommend that that person should name? If Well, we talk about all of our other fiduciary fiduciaries, how we think that we should have uh, two to three backups. So if you don't have a catch-all clause saying, this is this organization that I work with, or this is this veterinarian, we had a client who actually had said, if these other people are unwilling or unable to care for my pet, my veterinarian has actually offered, this is very unusual, so this must have been a very, very special cat. Uh, But my veterinarian has actually offered to take care of this pet because their needs are already so complicated. Um, So having a backup backup and then possibly having kind of that very much catch-all of this is the only shelter that I would want my pet to go to and I can still provide the shelter with the money necessary to care for the pet at that time. Yeah, and uh, and also uh, you can name a trust protector and that what that phrase that that title is is simply somebody who more often than not doesn't have any actual duties or responsibilities like a trustee so it's not a, a big ask to to have somebody named as a trust protector because they're, they're they're not creating a duty or obligation but they have the right to look over the shoulder of the trustee so they're and, policing uh, that's a strong word, but yes. Okay. Uh, you, you don't want overseeing. Yeah, you okay, don't want to present it as policing. No, because, no, because that could offend somebody. It right. could offend the, the trustee. Right. Exactly. That that's the concern is that we don't want the trustee to to be turned off to this person. But but this is a person who is out there that you may completely trust. You know that you may we many of us have those people out there that we trust totally and completely. 
But this isn't somebody that we feel comfortable asking to be a trustee because, you know, the work or maybe you don't have any family relationship to them. Maybe you're comfortable asking your son to be a trustee or your daughter, but you don't want, you wouldn't ask this person maybe. So, but, but the idea of a trust protector, especially as it pertains to a trust for a dog uh, or a other animal, is that this is somebody that you're pretty confident will keep an eye on things. And they, they don't, they're not agreeing to undertake a duty. Uh, but yet, you know, that if you name them, they're going to kind of check in every now and then. And, and that's a good thing. Cause I do think with, with trustee, with somebody who has the responsibility for caring for the pet, you might see more turnover when we talk about these successors. <laughs> I think I think we might see more turnover. Like and, I'm moving to New York City, and I'm so sorry I can't take care of this yeah. dog and or parrot anymore. Right, or you know, you may remarry, or you're mm-hmm. going through a divorce, or I mean, this is one of those responsibilities that may get handed off. And the good news is, it's okay for it to be handed off if you have a trust in place. Right. It's the it's the other cases. Uh, that that where they're jeopardized, you wonder what happens in those cases. And we know sometimes it turns out well for the pet, but we also know sometimes it doesn't. So this is a way to in a in a reliable, um, trustworthy mechanism to assure that this loved one is properly cared for for the balance of his or her life. So now let me ask you: when in the case of say, a no-kill animal shelter, Mm -hmm. and you want to leave your pet to this animal shelter, I'm assuming you would have to make these sort of arrangements with and get the animal shelter to agree to this. Before, I mean, you you couldn't just say, okay, you know, the person dies and the animal organization is contacted. Hey, guess what? You inherited Fido plus a lot of money. You would want to make sure that you had a conversation with the um, annual, you know, giving coordinator at that particular charity to make sure what the parameters would be and what would happen if another charity took over as a successor for that charity at some point in time. Um, But because there's a guaranteed estate gift and because that's not going to be your first choice, I think that they would be happy to be a backup at that point, provided that they are also going to get some of their operating costs offset. And and again, just to emphasize what we just said, in this scenario especially, where the dog could very well end up, you know, in this sort of large, what's the word, institutional environment where it could not get quite the attention you had in mind. You know, we all right. think of our kids, of our loved ones, our pets getting very individualized care. But but it's good you brought that up because for many people, depending on the amount of money you have to leave uh, or practical reasons, it may be more of an, an, uh, you know, some sort of institution that takes care of animals that I don't think what you described would be ideal, this no-kill Some shelter. of them are, though, because I know this one that I used to volunteer for years ago it was a beautiful facility. And I mean, no, they're not going to get the same individual attention that they would in somebody's At home. The Helmsley Palace. At the <laughs> Helmsley Palace. Yeah, that's true. But it was a beautiful facility. And I mean, it wasn't institutional looking, you know. So, well, but let, let me say this, though. It, this, for the reasons that you mentioned, this may very well be what is practical for some of us who may not have 
much money or much loved ones, really, to, to help us take care of this pet, then that's the wonderful thing about a trust protector. So we still end up using the same mechanism that Nina was talking about. As a matter of fact, it becomes, I would argue, most critical in a situation where funds are kind of finite but significant, uh, but maybe candidates to take the dog are very finite, meaning not a lot of hands are up. And, and so, you know, then you really worry. But then you appoint somebody as a trust protector. This is a great illustration of the purpose of a, a trust protector. Some people say, well, if I have a trustee, isn't that somebody I trust? Why do I need a trust protector? Well, this is the reason is the, the people who might actually care for the animal, they're not bad people, you know, such as the place you described, which is, I'm sure, people who care about animals. Sure. But you can name a trust protector who, with without any obligation on their part, without any intrusion in their lives or time, but you know that if you name them, they'll stick, they'll pop in every now and then or make phone calls and just check on things. See how the pet's yeah. doing. And, right. and that's a good illustration of a scenario where you may want to name that additional party, which you can do. And I mean, Tucker Allen does this sort of thing. Absolutely. And and one of the things that we go, we, and we can do something very simple, such as who would you like to find a home for your pet after you've passed? Whose judgment do you trust? So yeah. maybe that is Laura in, with too many dogs for her municipal ordinance in another town but she's going to find a good family and she's going to maybe temporarily house your pet while she's finding a good sure. family for the pet. Um, or that this person is also figuring out whether the pet can go to a shelter. But if you have a very strong opinion as to whether that pet should also be available for adoption at that shelter That's or a not. That's point. Um, or what are the circumstances under which you are comfortable with your uh, pet being euthanized? These are... These are very detailed things that you have an opportunity to put in your document. So again, we, we always circle back to this, but if you're on a flat rate, you should never be afraid to bring up something that is important to you with your attorney because these customizations do not cost you anything more. So why not have a document that truly reflects your situation? And, and without making too much of a sales pitch for Tucker Allen, uh, but... I have to mention that whenever you order forms, some people think, well, gee, I can get a form for 100 bucks or whatever it is to get a form. I mean, this is the reason, this is one of the many reasons that, that when you're thinking about your whatever it is that you've accumulated during the course of your life, whatever in this, this world is important to you, human, living or non-living, uh, pets or, or human, I mean, whatever is important to you in this world is really this is your final opportunity to determine how it's best used, the totality of the things you've accumulated during the course of your life. Direct them in the ways that you care about and, and to, to be committed to spending as little as possible for that great and grand purpose just never makes sense to me. If I, if I wasn't in a business related to this, I still would say it makes no sense to me. And so whenever you you do proper planning and you have a trust to address the things you really care about, it's probably not going to fit a form that you pay a hundred bucks for. And it, and that's <laughs> the reason you do pay, you know, what, a couple thousand or more. But remember, you're doing this probably one time. Um, and to the extent you have to make changes, it's probably going to be small changes. So I, I'll, you know, it sounds like a sales pitch and perhaps it is, but but uh, the bottom line is Tucker Allen, uh, this is what they do, 
And these are the sorts of important things in your lives that are not details. They shouldn't be something that is is ignored. These are things that you can take care of all with a an amount that's fixed. And I know she mentioned that a while ago. That's the nice thing about when you go do your estate plan, you say, well, can you tell me what this is going to run on the front end? They give you a fixed fee rather than hourly. Um, and the advantage of that, as you said, allows you to bring up all those things. That you may important. laugh at me when I ask you about your pet, but after you go home and think about it a little bit longer, you may say, you know what? I'd like to have another phone call to discuss my yeah, pet. makes sense. And so it allows you that unfettered access to your attorney uh, through email or phone calls or whatnot with any attorney that's doing things at a flat rate to say, you know what? I, I think I would like to discuss this and put something in place, whether it's something very simplistic or whether it's very detailed. You've now given your pet a gift, but you've also given your surviving family members a gift by doing this planning ahead of time so everybody isn't upset and trying to scramble to figure out what to do with the pets at the same time. Now, Nina, how many or how common would you say it is that people do seek this type of estate planning for their pets? I mean, that you've come across anyway. It's a, it, it can be a separate trust that you draft. We don't like to do that. We like to include it. Um, it's so, part of the, the trust you're yes. doing anyway. And if, it you're, is, do, right. if you're looking at your current trust and you're saying, oh, well, the SECURE Act happened in you know January 1 of 2020 and I haven't updated yet. If you're restating your trust or, or redoing it a little bit to refresh some of those provisions, you can add it in at that time. But I will tell you, very rarely do people come to me asking for this until I bring it bring up. up. Okay. A- exactly. And, uh, I'll give you a, but before we wrap up here, I want to give you one final analogy to to bring this home. Think about um, what a disservice it would be if you had dependent children, which could mean a special needs child that's over eighteen, but we'll assume minor children too. and uh, and you did no planning, and they simply took the chance each day that this would be a good day for you, meaning there wouldn't be a stroke, there wouldn't be a heart attack, you wouldn't have a car accident in which you are disabled, uh, not to mention killed. They are betting each day that it goes that way, and if it didn't, then they would get shoved aside for the balance of their lives. Imagine if that were true of human beings, but it's really not because we know that if you're not responsible or we are not responsible and we don't, expressly provide for the care of dependent children or dependent adults, then we know that at least there is a net down there that catches them because the the court will have appoint a guardian. They'll appoint a conservator. This is not efficient. This is not what we recommend, but at least we can't accuse you of being a bad parent because you can say, well, I knew the court would come in and appoint a good person to be conservator. I knew the court would come in and right. appoint a proper person to be a guardian. So you can you can have that assurance and go ahead and not do planning. Again, that's not taking care of your loved one, your human loved one as much as you as well as you could have. But okay, I get your point. But now let's go to dogs, these loved ones. There is no such mechanism. So this dog every day, I mean, you know, is is a matter of, of, of good fortune whether you continue to live, you continue to not have strokes and heart attacks or car accidents or all those things that can go wrong where suddenly this this dog 
will find it's on its own. Well, some of you are probably thinking, oh, but I have a son who will come in and take care of the dog, or I have a daughter who will come in. But for how long and in what way? And to what extent will they resent that? And to what extent is it a problem if they move? Or do they live in a condo? Or do they live in one of these neighborhoods? There can be so many things wrong with that plan, not the least of which they may not take as good a care of this animal as many other people would have. Um, but because they're your child, they're the only ones that was willing to take the dog. And, and so it's not a good situation for the dog or them. So my point is, we can all agree can't we that with children we we desperately need some net to assure that if something happens to us especially as we age if something happens that that loved one that dependent child or dependent adult child will have somebody to take care of them we know that that's the, that's how the law works clunky and expensive and inefficient yes but it's there well I would suggest you think the same way, though, about our pets. I mean, we care for our pets. I'm one of those, and I know some of you are. And those of you who are, you know, it's really incumbent on us to to do something and not have these dogs live at risk. So the whole idea is to put put this in place now because the chances of, of us will exclude you. Well, we exclude you. I'm the oldest here. So <laughs> anyway, those of us who are 65 or older, and I'm going to be 65 March 1, so um, it's incumbent on us to put in place now such a trust, not assume that we're going to live to be in our 90s and we'll have time to, you know, on our deathbeds or weeks before to do our estate planning. Um, but for our pets, I think that we need to have in place something that assures that if things go sideways in an unexpected way, which statistically for us is much more likely than for others, that we want to be sure that there's a plan in place by which our pets care um, and, and, and life and enjoyment. You know, it's not simply a matter of keeping the dog fed or a cat fed or whatever it is. It's more than that. You want somebody who's going to assure a quality of life. And so we thought we were happy to do this show. It was a great idea. I didn't think of this. Who came up with the idea for this show? Jill? Yeah, I think Jill did. And we're actually, you know, doing uh, some uh, information at this same time for Tucker Allen about uh, National It's Your Dog's Day or something like that. That's great. We realized that every single person at the firm has a pet. So we've been having a lot of discussions about this, and I thought it was right on point. Perfect yeah. timing. I mean, it's a great idea, Jill, to do this show. Uh, because, I mean, the fact that Tucker Allen does this, you know, we have to remind ourselves that a lot of people just don't, never curse to them to think about it. And when we ask the question, say, would you like to provide for your pets? You know, sometimes people laugh and, you know, they're like, oh, no, I think it'll be fine. Yeah. But just remember, no question that you're going to ask your attorney is a silly question during estate planning. No. Every question has a reason behind it that you're asking. It. And so we are prepared to answer those questions. And you're, any lawyer that you go to should be prepared to answer those questions. And also that the questions we ask you, we always have a reason for those, too. So... Be prepared yeah. to share information and to get information when you're going through the estate planning process because things like this can be really important. Yeah. Huge. For us pet owners and lovers, you know. So think about this conversation. Uh, and remember Tucker Allen. Uh, they do things such as this relating to estate planning all the time. This has been another episode of Life's Third Act. Till next time, take care. 
You've been listening to Life's Third Act, a podcast for thriving in retirement. Sponsored by Tucker Allen, your estate and elder law advisors. Each week we discuss topics and answer questions to help you better plan for your future. For more information, visit TuckerAllen.com. Subscribe and listen again next week for another edition of Life's Third Act. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely on advertisements.